Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the No Tech Show. Um, this one is talking a lot about the internet, which seems like a crazy thing to be talking about now because it's. I was talking to some friends on the weekend about how crazy it is that we now spend probably one of the largest uh, bills at home for internet access, which is something that didn't even exist. I don't know, like twenty odd years ago. Anyway, so I wanted to talk a bit about. Uh, into the internet and information and why that's an important thing to think about. There was an article, I, uh, a video I was watching actually this morning by the guy from All Sides, which if you're not following allsides.com uh, over in the US, it's a really interesting website which splits out news and how news is consumed and uh, written from all the different sides of the argument. So it presents uh, the Democratic through to Republican, I guess, or left through to right wing interpretations of information and that really got me thinking about how we see access consume and then interpret um, information that impacts on our environment he was saying something quite which I, I was a fascinating comparison I think when the printing press first came about uh, it took us about a hundred years he suggested after that to really come to grips with the impact of what that meant because for the first time way back then, there were a lot more people who had access to uh, the written word and to being um, affected by and impacted by that written word, depending on who wrote it, of course. So you can imagine the slants like we have in, in newspapers or online articles today is very similar. But what happened at the time was because uh, people, this was the first time people had had access to that level amount of information than they that they'd never had before I guess prior to that it would have been uh, town criers and people that were shouting about the news in the town square and suddenly you had it in their very own hands there's very very little well, apparently there were complaints with well, a very little ability to learn how to take that information in context and uh, people got very fired up about articles that they read or bits of paper that they read with someone's opinion, not necessarily realising that it was opinion. So his suggestion is it took a very long time for people to really get their heads around what it meant and to uh, ensure that we put in place education to have people of all walks of life understand that they needed to view things in a certain way depending on what it came from. Um, there were complaints apparently at the time with people spending way too much time looking at these bits of paper in their hands, which made me laugh because you think about today's world, that is the mobile phone with the internet. And he also said that, you know, in today's world where we're moving into the different levels of web and internet that we are, that we actually need to take a lot less time than we did back then. It's it's critically important that we educate and we think um, about the information we perceive and read and consume online as something from that has context in terms of where it came from. Um, so that was really what got me thinking about uh, doing this podcast about web in general. If you think about it, so web, if I start about the history of web, that's what I'll talk about first. Um, I won't bore you too much with that, but I think it's important context. I'll talk a little bit about um, what that meant for information in terms of how it got put out. We'll talk about um, the money-making side of it and what that means in terms of the impact of what you see and why you see it and how often you see it, um, how search engines have changed and what that means for you in terms of the information you can find and not. Um, and then a little bit about the, uh, I think, the what what's upcoming. I won't talk 
talk, talk more about this in depth in the next podcast when I talk about um, NFTs and metaverses and things, which I know seem like there's something out of a Marvel comic at the moment, but will soon become reality. Um, but what it means in, in the next world and how we need to be very careful uh, about what we perceive and do. So first up, uh, the differences between web. So believe it or not, there have been three phases of the web that they call them at the moment. Uh, web one, which was way back in 1989. I can't believe I'm saying way back when I actually was a was around and alive at that time. But so 1989 to around 2005 is when they call it as being active. Now typically the, the characteristics of the first version of, of the web was content was generally owned by somebody. Um, and it was uh, typically read-only, so you could you could go onto the internet if you had access to it and read pieces of information that someone had put up there that they owned that. Um, Web 2, when it came around, uh, that was around, gosh, the very late 90s, 99 maybe, through to 2012. So that changed things in that it was kind of, we changed that the web itself was more accessible for people to program and do things with. You had thing, more things like Wikipedias or wikis and, and blogs being created by, by people because um, access and ability to change things became more common. And it became what's called more kind of shared content and, and read-write so people could, you know, write content and, and read and consume it. This is also around the time actually in the mid-90s that search changed as well. And I'll, I'll talk about that more in a minute. But search changed from being um, something that was... Was very literal uh, and um, gave you as many results as possible through Google coming about in 1996, probably actually a little bit earlier than that. Google came around, which actually talked about the more relevant results of what you were looking for, which made a massive difference to what you were able to find. So Web3, which is kind of the phase that we're in at the moment, so that's been active around from the early 2000s, maybe 2005, 2006, and that's what we're in at the moment. So the difference... Um, now is if you think about very early on we could uh, read it uh, we could read information from people uh, so as general users such as you and me could read information that was owned by somebody the next phase is really around we could more access so you could read write now what it's talking about is the next evolution is us having the ability to read write and interact that's probably the most important word about it is interact with that information so examples of that there's lots more kind of live streaming um, data linking between its, it, you know, different pieces. Um, by that I mean, you know, one piece of uh, information such as writing linking through to another. So it's more a consolidation of content than your typical what was way back in the beginning, a company owning it or a newspaper owning it and presenting it to you. So there's lots more uh, what's been called by some the creator economy, uh, which is where. If you have the access to the internet and the know-how of how to create things and things like virtual spaces that have been created, you can actually have a lot of influence about what you put out there. So that's quite an important context for what we're living in now. It's progressed when you think about it really rapidly. And I think if you look at where we are now in the early 2020s, um, a lot of people who've grown up through this time haven't had the context of, of or education really our education hasn't caught up in terms of teaching us and showing us how to access properly uh, um, critique and and take this information and the context within which it's presented so that's quite an important thing about 
why you should care but I think also um, if you think about it this is where we now get most of our information um, from today and uh, when I go and which I'll talk about in a second when we think about um, who actually has the who really in I guess in reality has the ability to access and influence information online it is a fairly privileged if you think about middle class upwards privileged to be able to have both the time to learn to do it uh, and the um, data ability uh, so by that I mean the financial ability to afford uh, ongoing streams of um, fiber internet uh, to be able to do it um, so there's a smaller class than we think uh, about this creative economy and I think it's important to have that context when you think about who who will be putting information out there who will engage with it and also who will actually understand it at the end of the day as well so that's that part. Um, next, let's have a look at the money-making side of it. So this, I'm going to very, try very hard not to have a rant about. I can hear anyone anyone who knows me listening to this but going, how long is she going to be talking about it? I promise not too long. So I think if I put all of this stuff into context, even right back to the printing press days, um, you know, where whenever you have an environment or a situation where having public opinion or financial input from the public is uh, important to your success you're going to get people wanting to influence it right so when I think about um, financial success is the easiest one to to look at from the point of view of the internet or, or even newspapers um, big corporates need money to survive and and whether that's you're talking about um, I don't know selling selling clothing I was going to come up with a different example then, but we'll stick with clothing. When you think about clothing brands or you think about, um, I don't know, uh, from a from an opinion perspective, you think about politicians needing you to agree with them in order to succeed by, by you know, getting elected, then that power and what they are going to use the internet for, the internet being the environment that you're looking at for your information, becomes critical to their success, either by getting you to buy something or by getting you to see information that will have you agree with them. So if I think of some examples of that, one of which could be looking at, if you've heard of Cambridge Analytica, so uh, this is a political opinion example, where uh, back when Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump were competing for power, there was a lot of power, I should just say, competing to be elected, um, there was a lot of misinformation put out there. So if you think about it, people from uh, who might be Trump supporters, what was done was um, false information was put out, I, either to prove prove opinions that uh, that they disagreed with, so um, saying here's more reasons why you should not vote for Hillary Clinton, through to showing them information that was here's why you should uh, vote for Donald Trump. So what it did was it played on the fears and the opinions and distresses and um, the things that people um, in the US cared about really so that they notice it and look at it. I'm aware I'm saying um a lot in this in this episode. I, it's really difficult to actually 
unpack all of this so that it makes sense in any context. So please bear with me as I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm fumbling around a little bit to try and keep things simple. The other thing, so talking about um, money makers and, and also about public opinion and why those things matter in terms of what you see. The other thing to think about is any environment on the internet is the reason that they're up there and how they stay up there is because they're making money. So if you think about Google or any of the social media environments, what they're doing is they're selling your viewing or your attention, if you like, to advertisers. So what that means is when you go onto the internet, uh, if you travel around, travel around, this isn't quite right. If you if you're looking around at stuff, you'll see ads that relate to something you might have searched for before. There's a very sophisticated back-end uh, system of data collection that Google uses. And Google owns a, a vast amount of content sites on the internet that you may be looking at and you may be seeing adverts on that they own. Uh, the, the data set that they have in the background looks at your interests and what you clicked on before, so your history, basically what things interest you and not. So that could also be anything from like you've clicked on a website, you've undoubtedly clicked on a website, maybe looked at a, a bicycle or a shopping bag or a car or something that you want, and then it feels like everywhere you go on the internet after that, you see that same shopping bag, car or, or bicycle or whatever it is you've looked at. That's the same kind of advertising we're talking about. That is the advertising that Google is doing. So what Google needs to do is to keep you on. Google makes its money, and many of these places make their money online by the amount of time you spend looking at something or looking at an ad, and also how often you look at various ads or content ads are on. So it's in the interest to have your attention they're looking at as many things as possible for as long as possible. So if you think about that from the context of what we are, what we tend as humans to look at and not, we tend to look at things that we agree with. We tend to be involved in things that we agree, we agree with. It's very uncomfortable even in a social situation to be sitting next to someone who's talking about things or expressing an opinion that you don't like or you disagree with. So we don't, particularly when we're in we're using the internet, we, it will be very unusual for us to start clicking on things that we don't like because you just really don't want to read it, things that you make, make you feel uncomfortable. It's not a natural tendency of humans to do. So what ends up happening from that is um, the engines such as or environments such as Google learn from that, as do other media environments, they're definitely not the only ones, uh, and will present you with more and more things that you're interested in or that you, in some respects, I guess, agree with, uh, and less and less things that you won't because that attention that you give to those pages, those content pages where the advertising is on, is all based on how long you're spending and what you're looking at. So it's in the interest to do that. Now, the downside of that from a context perspective or in terms of what information you end up consuming as a, as a human on the internet is that you tend to see more and more things that you look, you agree with and less things that you don't. So while that may seem patently obvious as a, as a fact of, of how it works, the challenge of that or the implication of that is that you, there's a, it's very easy to think that you're, we treat, no, it's very easy to think that you're seeing everything or seeing all of the opinions and context of what's out there. We tend to view a lot of the stuff as fact, like I've researched it. So uh, if you 
if you look at um, what you're, if you then take into into account, I'm just trying to get my head around how to explain this. If you then take into account the fact that you're only actually seeing for the things that you agree with, and you're not seeing the things that you don't, what it means is other people are only seeing all that that you disagree with. They're only seeing things that they disagree with that you disagree with as well. So we end up in these very polarized positions, if you like. So firstly, we only see things or we see more things that we agree with than what we don't. Um, Secondly, uh, we don't see things that we disagree with. And then we're not, thirdly, we're only taught to really look at, to, we have this assumption or this underlying assumption, I think, that we're seeing everything that we need to know. And then I think lastly, what that does if you is it puts each of us, so if you've got one person who thinks the sky is blue and one person who thinks the sky is red, they're only ever going to see um, things that back up those assumptions and opinions. So that is a really challenging place for humanity to be in when we're thinking about operating in a society, particularly in a Western society, I think, because you end up with these very polarised, opinion-based groups of people that kind of almost never the twain shall meet because it's very difficult to that they think they're seeing everything they think and they've got their their opinion reinforced every day and it's very unlikely that they're going to bump into each other either online or or offline to have a conversation uh, about that Uh, the other thing I think that's happened particularly with the rise of social media and keyboard warriors or whatever else you want to call them in terms it's much easier to critique and and get into the club of of um, dismissing someone's opinion online I really think we've got to a point now in the social environments of the internet and this becomes particularly challenging when you think about it for a web 3 environment which is much more around engaging and interacting we've got to a point now where it's almost impossible I think to present an opinion without it sounding like it's an attack so what I mean by that is if I say I'm determined that the sky is red, it's very difficult for someone to come along and say, well, just tell me about that without it sounding like uh, or without my assumption that they're attacking me as opposed to uh, perhaps just being curious. So curiosity is not something I see certainly in my experience um, that is encouraged on the internet. We tend to get into these polarised black and white positions and we stick there and anything that disagrees with us becomes an affront to our thinking. So if you stretch that out into, into the democratic process or in terms of engaging in society or in terms of engaging with each other, it's really something we need to look at in terms of education about how do we, and to get back to the original thing I listened to this morning about when the printing press happened, it's really about encouraging and educating people to understand uh, from an early age how to critique and how to make sure that they look at all these factoids with <laughs> factoids, exactly, uh, <laughs> with a degree of context of what it could mean and always be critiquing and um, treating it with some level of suspicion, whether you think of that as being a pinch full of salt or a bucket full of salt, it doesn't really matter as long as you're always looking at it with a view of scepticism. Search itself is always already changing as well and that's something else I think is quite um, fascinating. So hopefully you will too, but it will impact on this as well. So search changed in the 90s as I mentioned earlier to be going from everything that um, search engine would try and provide you as many results as possible so it's a really a quantity game through to google who really changed everything to be around what was called relevance so uh, what they thought a result would be 
that would be relevant to the query you're putting in. So it's a very much kind of a, um, a like for like, if, if, you, if you if you see what I mean, a like for like, like I was searching for a red elephant, it will provide, Google will provide me with red elephant results. What an odd example. Um, what's happening now is that we're moving into what's called semantic search. So semantic search is really where it's more what's inferred or implied by uh, a question that someone's asking. So that, again, provides a lot of assumptions in terms of the data and the back end of, of um, what, what back end being what's underlying the search engines and the way that they come up with the results for you and decide what is uh, relevant to your query and what is not. Using uh, semantic search kind of will get into the implication of if you say Mr. Word and you've used the word, how do I find it? Uh, so let's go back to Red Elephants. So if I said, um, tell me about, um, I want to know about Red Elephants, tell me about, about what it eats, um, it will then, the semantic search will uh, automatically assume that it is referring to Red Elephant. So again, if you take that back into the context of what that'll end up providing you in terms of the masses of information that's out there, uh, we're actually putting a lot of emphasis into these engines and um, who are into these search engines to provide the results. There's a lot of, I guess, weight that's put on there in terms of responsibility on their behalf. And that responsibility is now with somebody like like a search engine where it's, where it's uh, mandated by making money. So... There's a real conflict, I would say, of interest in that aspect too. Then if you think about the fact that uh, many people, again, I'm getting into arms and arms, gosh, it's so hard not to, uh, particularly once you've noticed it. If you've done that, you start noticing and hearing yourself saying arm or arm, and then all of a sudden that's the only word you can think of. Anyway, you <laughs> you were laughing at myself. Excellent. So um, you will find that the results you see will be ones that uh, Google thinks are relevant to you, relevant to your history, and will keep you online looking at potential advertising, which is what it makes its money from, as much as possible. So when we go right back to the beginning of why should I care? I mean, Web3, Web1, what is this internet thing that sounds, uh, as a friend of mine put it the other day, I think I said earlier, like a Marvel comic, something out of the movies. Um, this will become a reality. You know, this is uh, looking at virtual environments now, which sounds so mad, will become something that will be the norm in the next few years. It's already the norm for many of the, the kids nowadays, um, it makes me sound like I'm 80, the people who've grown up with this all their lives, this is what's normal to them. So I think the lesson from all of this is to really look at what do we want society to be in terms of how managing and ensuring people are taken care of in terms of how they interact with the Web3 environment, so how they interact in a virtual space, how they use it, how they critique information that they get, so that they can be sure to um, take it with a pinch or a bucket full of salt, how they treat each other in terms of psychological safety, uh, and also um, how they present themselves. So in terms of ownership, who owns you know their their face, their their belongings, their everything that they put online, making sure that it's something that they're cognizant of, particularly from a young age. Yeah. So that is my, um, I think, hopefully a shortish ramble on all of these things. It's definitely one of those topics that I could spend hours on. Hopefully that's a taster for you at least. I'll be diving a bit deeper, daring to use a meeting bingo word at the end of this podcast, 
into all of the specific topics in this. So if there's any questions off the back of this or there's something you want me to explain further, please get in touch again. And I, you know, I heard it again this weekend. Like this, honestly, this stuff is really complicated and specialist. And uh, if you've got a question you think is silly, it, it won't be, and you won't be the only person that's asking. So please get in touch. One of the things that concerns me that I'll uh, leave you with from this particular one is that at the moment, all of these spaces are being developed by really technical people. And so the people that understand the language and they're the people that are developing the environments, creating them, if you like. What's missing from this conversations are people like you and me. So people who are, I don't want to say ordinary average because you're all wonderful, individual and amazing, uh, but people who are just not, who are not developers, who are people who are caring about things like how we socialize, how we take care of each other, how we create community. And I think it's really important uh, that we get involved and that you get involved and think about how these kind of things will impact on you and the humans of the future. Thanks for listening. Uh, take care and please, as I said, get in touch. Hey, you at the No Tech Show. Thanks.